0: Draw your attention to the first commandment. We'll be looking at it again in our catechism study. And it's question number 47 that we're looking at today. So it's about first commandment sins. We have been, of course, looking at the first commandment already. We've had a couple of sermons uh, related to it, or, or one, I guess, actually. As I mentioned to you last week, with each of the Ten Commandments, the Catechism sets forth first the things that are required in that commandment, and then the things that are forbidden or prohibited in separate questions. It's a very helpful way to present this material to us, because um, then we see the the fullness of the commandment. If If you just hear a prohibition like, have no other gods before me, then you might miss the fact that that means you should have God, which is what we talked about last week. If you're not to have other gods before him, the implication is you're to have him. And all the commandments should be looked at that way, that we take them not just in what is stated, but in the opposite of that. We've mentioned several times, like if it says, you know, you shall not steal, then that means that you should also, on the positive side, work and, Provide for yourself, provide for others, be able to give to others, look for ways to give. That's what we're called to do. So all the commandments are to be observed in a full way. Last week, when we looked at the commandment, which is you shall have no other gods before me, then we did look particularly at what it requires. Even though it's written as a prohibition, we saw that what the implication is. Now this week, we're going to move on to consider the things that are forbidden In that commandment. Let's take a moment to review the first three questions having to do with the first commandment, and then I'll go to our scripture reading after that. So we'll start with question 45. Question 45 Which is the first commandment? The first commandment is Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Question 46 What is required in the first commandment? The first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God, and our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly. And then the question for this week, question 47, what is forbidden in the first commandment? The first commandment forbiddeth the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God is God and our God, and the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. For our scripture reading, I've selected Deuteronomy 32, where Moses gives Israel a song of warning against particularly having other gods besides the true and living God who had redeemed them. It's a very powerful warning that we need to pay attention to in our day. We're in a position to see how many times God's people turned to other gods in the history of the church. Sometimes we don't quite realize how prevalent this is for people in the church to turn to other gods. Surely, you know your own heart, though, and how often you find devotion to other gods starting to grow like weeds in the garden of your heart. Just like weeds in the garden, if you don't tend to them, they completely take over after a while, do they not? You become, your idols become very, very big. So here the now the word of God. I'll begin in Deuteronomy 31, verse 30, just to get the context. Here is God's word. Deuteronomy 31, 30 and following. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel, the words of this song until they were ended. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teachings, teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. They have corrupted themselves, they are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you, has he not made you and established you? Now, I'm just going to stop at that paragraph break. It's very interesting. You have this in Deuteronomy about heaven and earth being the witnesses to how, because they'll still be around, right, in future generations. They're the witness to God warning his people about other gods. And then when the people go after other gods, heaven and earth saw that. Okay? So when you look in Isaiah chapter 1, you remember how it begins? Isaiah calls heaven and earth, or the Lord does through Isaiah, to bear witness to his people's behavior. They have turned to other gods. They have done the very things that are recorded here in this song. It connects those passages together. So let's look and see God's warnings to his people about this whole problem of idolatry. Verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. And he made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle and milk of the flock, with fat of lambs and of rams of the of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat and you drank wine, the blood of grapes. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat. You grew thick. You are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation." "'children in whom is no faith. "'They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. "'They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. "'But I will provoke them to jealousy "'by those who are not a nation. "'I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. "'For a fire is kindled by my anger "'and shall burn to the lowest hell. "'It shall consume the earth with her increase "'and set on fire the foundations of the mountains.' I will heap disasters on them. I will spin my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I' will also send against them the teeth of beasts. With the poison of serpents, of the dust, the sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within. for the young man and the virgin, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who has done all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they they understand this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? For their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free. He will say, where are their gods? the rock in which they sought refuge. Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and, and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I, rise, for I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, If I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make arrows drunk with blood and the sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children and be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life." And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. May the Lord richly bless his holy and infallible word. So we'll begin by looking at this song in a very much of an overview fashion. And then we'll look at some of the ways that we have other gods so that we can connect with this passage. Then after that, we'll consider what we ought to do about the problem of other gods. So first of all, the song of Moses is a powerful warning against having other gods besides the true God. Let me show you how God intends for this song to be used. He explains what the song is for back in chapter 31. Look at 31.16. The Lord said to Moses, behold, you will rest with your fathers. Okay, that that means Moses will die. And this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Of course, playing the harlot with other gods means that they will worship other gods besides the true God that saved them. Our relationship with God is often looked at in Scripture as a marriage to him. Verse 17, this is 31, chapter 31 still Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them. That was what we saw in the song. So that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. Remember how it said, how could two people flee from, uh, or uh, uh, 10,000 people flee from two people and things like that. So they're saying, you know, we have all these troubles because God's not with us. He says, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. So they were to learn this song. That's how it was to be used. Then in future years, when they in fact did turn to other gods, you often remember songs, don't you? And the Lord, when the Lord brought trouble upon them, then this song would explain to them what had happened and why God was not among them. They had been trusting in other gods. Therefore, he left them in the hands of those other gods and said, let them deliver you if you're going to worship these other gods. Not only had he refused to help them, but he had even delivered them over into their enemies' hands, raising up enemies to come against them, to humble them, and to break them, a way of punishing them and chastening them. Now, really, this was a, a very gracious thing for the Lord to do, wasn't it? Because, like I mentioned this morning, if he had left them, they, they would have completely departed from him. So he did these things to, to wake them up. He delivered them over and over to their enemies because it was his intention to correct them and bring them back to him as their only God. The song would be instrumental in bringing about their restoration when all this happened. It was designed to help them see how wrong they had been to turn to other gods when God had been so faithful to, to take them out and to preserve them and to provide for them, taking care of them in the wilderness, redeem them. Indeed, how ashamed we should be when we look at the church in the West and see how we've turned to other gods. Why did we do it? Was God not good to us? It's a very shameful thing. And all the more so for us when we not only have the warning of this song, but we also have the record of all the scriptures that came after this. Moses said, you're going to do this, and they did it. And we see it again and again. Paul warned about turning away. Jesus warned in the letters in Revelation, the seven letters. Over and over, we have warning, warning, warning. Peter warned them everywhere in the Scripture. Jesus teaching in the Gospels as well. Even if you're following Jesus today, you should never look at the first commandment and say, oh, I would, I'd never do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worship other gods. If you say that, then you're ready for a fall. The song, along with history, testifies that this is something we really need to be on guard about. It's the sin of having other gods. So I hope that this sermon will help you to understand how often that as God's people we turn to other gods. Look at how this song warns them about having other gods before God. It begins by recounting how God had graciously, graciously possessed them as his own people, how he had cared for them despite their unfaithfulness. Verse 6, the question is asked, Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is He not your Father who who bought you? Has He not made you and established you? He's bought us, you see. He redeemed us. He's made us. Now, it's not the creation of our bodies that's being talked of here when it says that He made us. This is that more important making of us. Making of us to be His people. He formed us to be His people. It's like what Psalm 100 talks about. For Israel at that time, it's... It was bringing them out of Egypt. But for us, it is sending Jesus to redeem us on the cross and sending the Holy Spirit to give us new life. God has redeemed us. The song goes on in verse 7 through 14 to speak about how the Lord provided for them and took care of them. Verse 10 says that he kept them as the apple of his eye. Something that you protect, right? The apple, you you guard your eye from harm. Verse 7 says that he protected them with his wings. Like an eagle protects its young. And in verse 12, it emphasizes that he did this for them. He who did this for them is the only true God. What is this? So the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. It was no one but God who is the father of Jesus Christ that redeemed them and preserved them. No other God had to help him. We have no business than trusting in other gods when he has been so faithful to us. That's the main point of verse 7 through 14. But verse 15 through 18 recount how his people will turn away from him. No sooner does he establish them as his people and prosper them, they forget him. Prosperity seems to ruin God's people over and over again, and they start worshiping other gods. It's so stupid. God gave you the land. He prospered you. He provided for you. So now I'm going to worship other gods. The Lord predicts it here, and it's exactly what has happened again and again and again, and what has happened in our day. His people can't keep away from other gods. Look at how having other gods is the heart of the complaint. Verse 15. But Jeshurun... A nickname that's related to the word righteous, Jeshurun, used of Israel, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. Again, why would you do that? And God's provided for you. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that their fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. How is it that we keep falling back into this pattern as people over and over again? It's so wretched of us. God has begotten us of a people and we prosper in his hand and then we turn away from him. This is the heart of the problem. Rejecting God is our God. God's reaction to this is described in verses 19 through 35. We don't have time to look at all the details, but a cursory look shows that he is very angry at them for turning to other gods. And rightly so. He's a God of justice. And as it says in verse 21, they provoked him to jealousy by what is not God and moved him to anger by their foolish idols. In verse 22, he explains that a fire has been kindled in his anger that burns to the lowest hell. Verse 23 and onward says that he will heap disasters on them. Everything from pestilence to swords of other nations. He, he destroys them as a nation. But then he does something marvelous. He has compassion on them. And he restores them all over again. Verse 36 explains how he has compassion on them when he sees that they are utterly without power before their enemies. He's reduced them to great weakness. And it's all to prove the point to them that the foreign god that they chose to worship, the foreign gods, are worthless and cannot help them so that they'll come back to God as their God. You remember when um Elijah was around and they were worshiping the God that sends rain? And so God said, Okay, they were worshiping Baal, Baal's the rain god. So they said, Okay, uh the Lord said, uh, there'll be no rain in the land <laughs> until Elijah says so. <laughs> and uh, it was quite quite a funny uh Funny kind of a, a, a thing to bring on them because here they are worshiping the rain god, right? They didn't feel like they had enough rain from Jehovah. So, okay, we'll worship the rain god. So verse 37, 38 says, He will say, Where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices. They were offering sacrifices to these gods and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you and be your refuge. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? You know, they're get, Baal, come and help us. Baal, come and answer us. These gods that they turn to in their prosperity are not able to help them. Now that they're in trouble. We think we have answers in our prosperity. We get so proud and cocky. and We say, oh, well, we, you know, we have this, this all figured out. And then the Lord brings us down. And we realize how, how much we need him. It does not have to be that way. Why not trust God all along the way? Why not give thanks to him all along the way? But you see how merciful he is to bring us back to himself as our God. That's his goal all along the way, to be our God. Verse 39, he presses home the lesson. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I kill, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. And then he does two marvelous things for his people after that. First, he judges the nations that came against them, the very nations that he himself raised up against his people. And second, he provides atonement for his people's sins. This is incredible. Look at verse 43. He calls upon the Gentiles, the nations, to rejoice when they see the kind of God that he is to his people. He says, you nations that have been, that I've raised up against my people. He says, look, I'm restoring my people now. See what kind of God he is. Verse 32, I mean, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with my people. Reminds you of Psalm 117. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. How gracious our God is to bring us back under his care when we have foolishly and wickedly turned to other idols. It's amazing. And didn't we see that principle today? When God brought atonement, when Jesus Christ came and was crucified for his people and atoned for their sin and then was raised up, what happened? Gentiles, look what God did. Come and, and join in. Come and worship God. The, the whole way was opened up to the nations. This is a prophecy of, of that very thing. But despite God's warnings and his marvelous grace, we continue to turn to other gods. God's. Let's now look at some of the ways that we do that. What are some of the ways that we turn to other gods? The first thing that happens is that we turn from the true God. That's what question 47 refers to as denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God is is God and our God. You stop doing what a person does who worships the true God. You do not know, acknowledge, worship, and glorify him as your, looking back what we looked at last week, your creator and sustainer. You ignore the fact that he is the one who made you and who gives you all that you have. You don't pray to him, really pray to him, or thank him for your daily bread, just a ritual prayer, except perhaps, you know, like, yeah, following that, you know, we'll say the blessing at our meal or something, that kind of ritual prayer. You cease to delight in his goodness to you with all the good things that you enjoy in this life. You don't recognize him. And secondly, you do not know, acknowledge, worship, and glorify him as your lawgiver and your judge. You ignore his commandments, start to shape your own morality. I'll decide what's good for me. I'm not going to listen to God's standards. I'll follow my desires. You make up your own moral code, and you embrace or you embrace the morals of the people around you, uh, the Canaanites, so to speak. Instead of asking what the Lord says about worship or about the Sabbath day or about abortion, even or things like you follow your own way. You don't fear. You do not fear God. You put it. Out of your mind that he is a judge, the judge of all the earth. And that everyone will have to give an account to him. You become presumptuous and you suppose that you won't be punished. That that things will be well with you even though you follow the dictates of your own heart. And then the third thing, again from last week. You do not know, acknowledge, worship, and glorify him as your redeemer. Even that you don't look to him for forgiveness of your sins. You don't even think about needing forgiveness. You, you, uh, nor do you look to Jesus to deliver you from temptation and from the sinful ways that are in your life. You're not really worried about that anymore. You act as if you don't need a redeemer. You don't need a deliverer. You don't need one to provide forgiveness to you. All of this denying and not worshiping and glorifying the true God is God and our God can be done either in a formal way or an informal way. But now I want you to enter into this that we're talking about here. Do you not see that tendency to start to drift away from God in that way where you're not acknowledging Him as your creator, your sustainer, as your lawgiver, your judge, and as your redeemer? See, all of, all of this can be done in a formal or an informal way. By f- a formal way, I mean that you can drop out of church altogether or you can join or perhaps stay in, whichever the case may be, a church that doesn't confess that God is the creator, sustainer, Lawgiver, judge and redeemer. You can officially declare that you do not believe these things. That's a formal way. Okay, you renounce the connection that you have with God in, that, in a formal external way. But you can also just drift into a denial of God in an informal way, where you still go to church on paper and you still say that you believe, but where you do not really thank Him, or where you don't really trust Him and look to Him as your God from day to day. That's where you're having your little prayers time and you're not really praying. You're a formal Christian, but you're not walking with God. As your God. Your profession is empty. You're not living for God as your God. Or looking to God for blessing. His word is not your life. What Moses says in verse 46 and 47 of that song. Does that happen to you? Think about it. Like are you living in communion with God? Do you respond to him as you, as you go about your life. Just every day. Maybe you're not formally renouncing him. But you're not really walking with him in an informal way. So you see that the first part of having other gods is to cease to have God as your God, to deny him as your God, and to not worship and glorify him as your God. But now I want to look at the second part of um, having other gods. And that is to give the worship and glory, the trust and devotion and praise to other gods. The trust, devotion, and praise that is due to To God, you give to other gods, other things. This can also be done in a formal way. It's when you start to actually worship a false god. Say a person that takes up with a false religion that denies the true God, like Islam or Hinduism or something. As I pointed out last week, Jews and Muslims are sometimes said to worship the same god that we do, but they don't. And I mentioned this again this morning to you. Uh, Jesus said that we we don't know the Father unless we know Him. That no one knows the Father unless they know the Son. Also, who is He is the Father of Jesus Christ. He's if, if He's not, He's a different God. And there is this whole area of consulting with the devil. That God's people will do sometimes. Dabbling in things like mediums or horoscopes or palm readers or fortune tellers or Ouija boards and things like that. We're not to be dabbling in that sort of thing whatsoever. You also officially worship another God when you join in one of those joint services with with different faiths. You know, the kind of thing like they had... uh, it was uh, remember when 9-11 occurred and they had all these groups that would get together to pray and to seek God. Now, we should be kind and gracious to those who worship false gods, but we should absolutely refuse to join them in prayer and worship as if we're all praying to the same God, because we're not. To do this is to have another God along with a true God. So we worship Baal in our, in our government, so I'll go worship Baal with them, and I'll think about that maybe I'm worshiping God and they're worshiping their gods. That doesn't work. Um, the, the Romans would have been very happy with the early church if they had added Jesus as another god to the pantheon of their gods. But the reason the believers were persecuted is because they refused to do that. They wouldn't acknowledge that there were any gods but the true God. And that's why they were even called atheists. The Masons are a group in particular that tries to blur all the religions. They claim to be, quote, that natural religion in which all men agree. According to them, Christians and Jews and Muslims can all assemble together as a religious fellowship and offer prayer to the one that they call the great architect of the universe. And of course, the true God is the architect of the universe. But uh, this is a, a perversion. One of their own said that Freemasonry in no way, this is a quote, in no way conflicts with, the, with other, any other religion unless, now listen carefully, unless that religion holds that no one outside its portals can be saved. Oh. Well, there you have it. It's not a contradiction to the religions of men. They're all one. They're all one and the same. But it's a contradiction to the one true religion with the one true God. Now, you see where this begins to rub because we, we want to fit in. We want to blend in. Hey, you know, this is a good thing. Everybody's praying and they're, they're looking to help each other. And this is, this is all good. But the one true religion teaches that God's way is the only way. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That has always been the teaching for faithful Christians because it is the teaching of the word of God. But drop that truth and you will be persecuted. And you, if you drop that truth, you won't be persecuted. If you cast off that one, no more persecution. Yeah, I've got my private religion. This is mine, and you've got yours, and it's all good. We're basically doing the same thing here. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm good with that. But you say, this is the truth. This is the one true God. Then you're going to get persecuted. Another way that people officially worship other gods is when they pray to saints to intercede for them or when they rely on priests to offer sacrifices for them. In our day, we have a priest, Jesus Christ, He's offered to sacrifice. We don't have priests anymore. We've got, we're bringing in something else that we're trusting in when we do that. It was one thing for priests to offer sacrifices in the Old Testament. For, they were types of Christ. But now that he has come, any priest offering sacrifices is taking the place that belongs to the one true God. So you get the idea. Those are official ways of having other gods. Okay, that's outward external ways that you have other gods was talking about there but here are also many informal ways of having other gods ways that we can again sort of drift into that uh, if we don't constantly watch over our hearts and and purge out our devotion to other gods from our lives let me give you just a bunch of examples here of what I'm talking about we can make a god of our lusts Where we serve and obey our sinful desires when we ought to serve God alone. Romans 6.12 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It reigns like a God that you should obey in its lusts. People can be devoted to their lusts. It's what they look to for their comfort, for their security. It's the thing, the go-to in their life. You know, it can be um, excessive eating. It can be anything. We, we can, uh, another thing we do, we can obey men rather than God or trust in man to save us. Whether we're trusting in doctors like Asa did without looking to God, we can go to doctors and trusting God that he has, you know, given them that occupation and that he may use them. But Asa didn't pray. He forgot about God. He went to the doctors, or we can go to a we can look to politicians or a certain politician. If this guy gets elected, then everything will be good. If he doesn't, then everything will be bad. Look to our military; that that will be our protection. Our military can't protect us if God doesn't enable them to protect us. We can look to a person that we have fallen in love with to make us happy forever. It's one of the things that a relationship can't bear if you put the devotion that belongs to God and the admiration that belongs to God on someone that you marry, they're not going to be able to bear that. We can love our father and mother more than the Lord so that we obey them in contradiction to what God has told us to do. Jesus said, no, you have to hate your father and mother in that case. You have to not do what is pleasing to them if it contradicts with what is pleasing to God. We can trust in the means that God has given us rather than God who uses the means. We can suppose that because we have prayed or because we have been baptized, then we'll automatically be blessed. In other words, I'm not really trusting God, but hey, well, I'm good because I've been baptized. And that's all as far as we go. No, it is God who blesses through prayer and baptism and such things. Some people trust in riches to make them happy or safe. Even some who do not have riches, trust in riches and wish they had them. If only, that's what they're always thinking, everything, I would be so secure if only I had this money in the bank account, in my retirement account, whatever it is. I could be happy and safe. And if it gets threatened, then I'm not happy and safe anymore. You can turn to drinking or eating or drugs or entertainment. Or spending, spending for your uh, to to make you bring comfort to you, or pleasure, or being successful—all of those things you can turn to for your comfort. When it is God alone to whom we are to look for comfort, these things become idols when you suppose that you can't live without them, and when you give them the place that belongs to God only. Paul refers to those whose God is their belly in Philippians 3.19. And so many people today make sex into a God. The idolatry is very obvious when they break God's clear commandments in the pursuit of sex in the way that they want it. But many even make an idol out of lawful sexual relations, looking to them not as a gift of God from God, but giving them a place independent of God, the place that belongs to God only. You see, we can do that with anything. We make a God out of it. You can look, another way you make God, you you look for praise of men when it ought to be God that you're seeking to please. And even something like, Pride involves you in having another God because you give credit to what is not God. In that case, to yourself. Look at what I have accomplished. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Look at the kingdom that I have made. Look at the great kingdom and the great place that I'm in. There's no one like me. And then God humbled him. So you see that there are many ways to do what is forbidden in the first commandment. You say, oh, I didn't think I had ever broken the first commandment. <laughs> well, there, there you go. To deny or not worship and glorify God on the one hand and to have other gods in place of him, that's to break the first commandment. You're guilty of breaking the first commandment. So what should you do if this is so, this being so? Well, the first thing you ought to do is repent and come to Christ For forgiveness unless you trust in him who came to save his people from their sins, then you've got no way to blot out your sin before God. As we saw in Deuteronomy, he is furious with his people for having other gods, but he provides an atonement for his people that covers their sins. You're not going to find another atonement atonement than the one that God provides. There's no way to cover them up. You can't hide, you can't bury, you can't deny them. That's what is needed. And the only atonement is the one that Jesus made when he died on the cross. If you're not trusting in him, then you're going to be cast in the lake of fire. Fire of God's wrath that Moses said in that song, Burns to the Lowest Hell. And of course, in coming to Jesus for forgiveness of this sin, you you have to repent of it. You must hate and forsake it, is that which is displeasing to God. You turn away from it It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means that you're going to look at it as a negative thing instead of a positive thing. Instead of a thing that you go to, you're going to look, you're, you're going to despise yourself when you do that. And you're going to turn back to God again and, and refresh your walk with him. Let me encourage you to keep a close watch over your heart in these matters. Jesus told us to be vigilant and watchful at all times. As I mentioned before, your heart's like a garden. And it's going to bring, weeds are going to grow there. They're just going to grow naturally. You don't, you don't go out and plant weeds in your garden and say, oh, look, the weeds are coming up now. I would better go pull them up. They just come. It's, it's because of our remaining corruption. We find that our devotion is always going out to that which is not God. And it starts to spring up in our hearts like weeds. Well, you know what happens if you leave the weeds alone, if you ignore the garden. We need to be very diligent to pull the weeds as soon as they appear and we need to watch for them if we don't then they're going to take us over so keep short accounts with god by getting rid of those other gods it is so much easier to stop a weed before it is able to get established just recognize when the temptation comes that if you even take one step with another god that comes to entice you that step is a step toward death and hell toward cutting off your relationship with God and ruining your life. That, I think, for you that would struggle with sexual temptation and that sort of thing, or with some eating thing or, or drinking or something like that, that's the thing that can be so helpful. To say, why would I want to spoil my relationship with God for this stupid thing that I'm looking at? It's going to spoil my life. It's going to wreck my life, my walk with God. Why would I go down that pathway in the time of temptation? Turn from that thing. Don't be deceived. Why take a step towards death and ruin? You say, well, I'm not going to go that far with it. Don't start down that. Why would you start down such a pathway? Turn back to God alone as your God. A second thing we need to do that will help us a lot is to make diligent use of the means of grace. God has graciously given us his word and he speaks to us of his kingdom, of his person, of his glorious promises, of his will for us, of his commandments. He gives us warnings in his word. If you ignore his word, then your heart will grow cold and empty of God and invariably the weeds are going to grow there. You will have God hunger, and other gods will fill the void. And there is prayer. We must continue in prayer. Pray that you will not enter into temptation like Jesus told his disciples, and that God will deliver you from the evil that is already in you. Don't be like the disciples who did not think they needed to pray about this when Jesus kept telling them that they needed to before he was arrested. They fell apart because they did not pray. And so will you if you do not pray. In the Lord's Supper, we have arranged our worship services so that we can have the Lord's Supper every week in both our meeting locations. And I've talked to some of you about the importance of, of attending the worship services that are appointed. You don't get a balanced diet even in the word of God if you come only to one service. When I plan out new series and things like that, I'm getting ready to do the Song of Solomon in the future, and I think about that, doing that in connection with the Ten Commandments, because they provide a balance for each other in the, in the diet of God's people. So it's not all vegetables or all meat. You get the, the variety that you need, something that's, that's refreshing and comforting, and at the same time, something that is more the law that's challenging you and pushing you forward of, of how you need to live. Uh, With the Lord's Supper, we've also arranged in our services and are going out of the way to do so so that you can have the Lord's Supper every week. Whether you're worshiping in Halifax or whether you're worshiping here, that there is a live service. And it has brought discouragement to me sometimes that that, that some in our congregation will only go for one of those services. Now, there's some people that have good reason that they can't. And that's understandable. But uh, if there's no good reason, then it, it should not be so. Besides the means of grace, we need to look out for each other in the body of Christ. When you see your brother struggling, go to him. Go to him with prayer that you can help him recover. Find out what's wrong and minister to him. And if it becomes necessary, join with the elders when they make a decision to discipline someone Join in admonishing that person when it becomes a public thing in the church. Join the elders in pleading with that person to stay with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we need each other in the body. And it's our duty to help each other and to encourage each other to continue in the Lord our God. And finally, let me say that one of the best preventatives of this sin is to be diligent in having God as your God. In praising him as your creator, sustainer, lawgiver, judge, and savior. In thanking him as the one who is all of these things to you. And in thanking him for his gifts rather than making gods out of his gifts. I think that that's where we often fail. We don't thank God for the good things that we have in this life. And then we start to worship those things. Very easy to do. That's why in our prosperity We fail. Sometimes we feel kind of guilty about having a lot of nice things when God has prospered us and blessed us. And instead of thanking him for it, we feel like it's kind of bad to have those things. And then, the, and then we start worshiping the things because we're not worshiping God anymore. are not giving thanks to God. We focus and we should focus on obeying him. Set your focus on doing his will. Make your life about pleasing God. It's so foolish to obey your own heart or to try to please other people when you have a God in the God of heaven to obey when you know him and have him as your God by trusting him as the only one who can really help you and save you as the only source of blessing and happiness. Again, when those temptations come, you know, maybe you've had trouble with, uh, with drugs or drinking or something like that, and you feel the pressure, the, the temptation to go after that thing. You say, no, I need to turn to God. I need to open up God's Word. I need to pray and seek God. I need to sing praises to Him. I need to find blessing from God, not from something that is not God. You don't need to depend on any other God, just on Him. You know that the other gods, they're they're deceptive. They promise you everything. It looks like, man, I'm going to get everything if I do this. This This will help me. I'll feel better. This will solve all my problems. But it doesn't makes it worse instead of better. So those are the few, a few of the things that will help you to keep the first commandment. Let's join together then in asking the Lord our God to help us. You will be so much happier if you have God as your God instead of all those foolish things that we make into gods. They will all perish and you will perish with them if they are your gods. But if you have the true God as your God, And you'll be blessed forever in him. Please stand and let's pray. Merciful and gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have come to us to be our God again. That when you redeemed us and you brought us out of bondage to our sin and when you provided atonement for us, that it was in order that you might be our God again that we could have you as God and our God, the true God as, our, as God and our God, and that we could worship and glorify you accordingly. And we pray, Lord, that, that you would guard us from going after other gods. The temptation is there all the time. We want to go after something else for our security, for our comfort, for our deliverance, for our peace, for our happiness, Whatever it is, Lord, we we rely on these things. We see that Moses told the people, this is what you're going to do. And it's exactly what they did. And Paul told the people that this is what you're going to do. Jesus told the people, this is what you're going to do. And again and again and again, we see, Lord, that we do. We trust in anything, even we trust in the very means of grace in a way that we make them gods rather than looking to meet you through the means of grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would really work in our lives, that you would purge us from these first commandment violations, from first commandment idolatry, and that we would be able to to worship you alone. We thank you, O Lord, that we have yet another sermon on this subject as we look at the uh, the, the thing that's attached on this commandment, that said the, the words before me. And we pray as we consider that next week that you would enrich us, Lord, so that, so that truly, Lord, we will have a good handle on, on what is being prohibited and what is being required in this commandment and the benefits that come to us as we, as we follow in this way. Thank you, Lord, for revealing these things to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.